Welcome to the Sadler Lectures podcast. Responding to popular demand, I'm converting my philosophy videos into sound files you can listen to anywhere you can take an MP3. If you like what you hear and want to support my work, go to patreon.com sadler. I hope you enjoy this lecture. In his short treatise on the anger of God, Lactantius is going to single out two philosophical schools of antiquity for particular criticism, saying that they essentially get God and the emotions wrong. And he thinks that the Epicureans, who we're going to talk about here, are more wrong than the Stoics, but they're both wrong in their views on God. And the Epicureans were a major school of antiquity, Lactantius would have been well acquainted with their works, many of which he had access to, but we don't have access to anymore. So presumably he's looked at their perspective quite closely, and we're going to see the criticisms that he's going to make are on point and and quite interesting. He's also going to draw in Cicero and Posidonius and others to criticize them as well, shoring up his position. So it begins in chapter four, and the very title of chapter chapter four includes the phrase, the censure of Epicurus, meaning here I'm going to tell you how Epicurus got things wrong. And he begins by saying what Epicurus is doing is taking away anger from God, saying God or the gods cannot be angry and thereby taking away kindness as well, which translates both gratia and beneficentia, two very important terms, being good to human beings. So he says, Epicurus thought it was inconsistent with God to injure and to inflict harm, which for the most part arises from the affection of anger. So he said, God wouldn't be that sort of being. And this is actually in the Epicurean documents that we still do have preserved, like the, you know, principal doctrines, the Vatican sayings, and and things like that. God doesn't get so attached to things as to get angry at us. And so Lactantius is going to say the Epicureans think of anger as a vice, at least anger in the sense of like injuring others and that sort of affect. And he says by not conceding a vice, a vitia, to God, they're also, however, taking away a virtue, a good trait that we could ascribe to God. So in a way, if you've ever heard that familiar saying, throwing the baby out with the bathwater, that is what he's saying Epicurus is doing. He goes on, he says, because God is happy and uncorrupted, because he cares about nothing, neither takes trouble himself nor occasions it to another. This is the Epicurean point of view of God. And how does Epicurus arrive at this sort of perspective? Well, Lactantius says, that he follows out a initial starting point, a principio, of a probability of an opinion. Probability is verisimilitudo, looking like truth. It comes from the word veris, meaning true, and then similitudo, a likeness to truth, but not really being true. So probability of an opinion, sententia, a point of view, you might say. And he's going to use this term in a verbal form as well in this passage. So he goes on and he says, he's led from the beginning by this probability of an opinion. He 
necessarily fell into those things which followed. So you start with a mistaken assumption, a mistaken opinion, and then you're going to draw some conclusions from that. And well, what was the first opinion? Anger's not consistent with the character of God. And then when this appeared to him to be true and unassailable, he was unable to refuse the consequences. One affection being removed, one affect, necessity compelled him to remove from God the other affections also. And the ones that he mentions here are anger, kindness, but also fear. God doesn't feel fear, joy, Laetitia, grief, pity. Now, this is a very important one for Christians in particular. And then in chapter 16, he will expand this to talking about God not feeling desire or libido, not feeling envy, invidia, or greed, avaritia. Sometimes it's translated as avarice. And Lactantius is actually going to say, you know, we need to look at this quite carefully. It could be that God actually does feel some of these and doesn't feel others. And Lactantius's basic point of view on this, which we've talked about elsewhere at greater length, is that God does feel emotions, emotions that stem from virtue and express virtue, which include anger, anger at those who are doing wrong, who violate or show contempt for the divine law and are damaging the universe and other beings, right? God doesn't feel fear because there's nothing for God to fear. God doesn't feel pity or grief, rather. God does feel pity, misericordia, right? But God also doesn't feel libido. God doesn't want to have sex with anybody. Envy or greed, God's got everything already, right? So Epicurus went wrong in thinking that if you take away one emotion, because all the emotions are connected with each other, that you have to take away all the rest of the emotions. So take away anger, they all go. And Lactantia is showing us, well, no, that's not really the case. We need a better differentiated analysis of what emotions it makes sense for God to feel. So that's one line of criticism. The next line of criticism comes up in chapter four, is reinforced in chapter seven, and then comes up again in chapter 17. And we've already gotten a little taste of it, you know, in saying that God is not caring about anything, not taking trouble. Well, Lactantius is going to say, He's not really much of a God if he's neither moved nor does anything impossible for human beings, if he doesn't care about things, if he's always inactive, right? So the Epicureans are saying the gods, exactly why the gods or gods or God is happy is because they don't care. <laughs> They're not bothered with all of this mundane crap that us human beings get ourselves bound up with. They exist somewhere else and they don't engage with the rest of the universe. And that's why they're blessed. And Lactantius and other people in ancient philosophy as well were like, not much of a God then, is it? Why even bother calling this God? And, you know, he says that Epicurus probably wanted to say, well, there has to be some sort of blessed being in the universe. But if we think this through, what is actually intrinsic to the idea of God. So the Epicurean God would have no will, no voluntas, no action, 
No governance, administratio, gubernatio is another term that gets used, and doesn't care about anything. Nihil cura, doesn't show any concern for the universe or the creatures of the universe. And he brings in Cicero and Posidonius. He says, Marcus Tullius relates that it was said by Posidonius, Epicurus understood there were no gods, but he'd said those things he spoke respecting the gods for the sake of driving away odium. So he leaves the gods in words, but takes away them in reality because he gives them no motion, no office, no function to them, right? This is a god or gods that do nothing. So it may as well be a kind of atheism. And, you know, a little bit later in chapter seven, he's going to talk about this as a rejection of religion. He says, Epicurus says this, and this is actually coming from Lucretius, for the nature of the gods must ever in itself of necessity enjoy immortality together with supreme repose, far removed and withdrawn from our concerns, exempt from any pain, exempt from dangers, strong in its own resources, not wanting anything from us. It's neither gained by favors nor moved by anger. Lactantius says, well, when you say these things, clearly you don't think that you should worship God or, you know, anything else. And this entirely overthrows, as he says, religion. He actually quotes Cicero, farewell to God if he is such as to be influenced by no favor and by no affection of men. And so he goes on a little bit further and he says, when Epicurus entertains these sentiments, he altogether destroys religion. When this is taken away, confusion and perturbation of life will follow. Right. So he's essentially saying, and Cicero, by the way, believes something like this as well. Take away religion and everything's going to fall apart. I'm not sure whether we buy that or not, but there's a more interesting argument that's made in 4 and 7 and 17 that God's very activity, because God is active, is to be concerned with the universe and what's happening in it all the way down to individuals. And this is why God will get angry at those who are doing things that they shouldn't be doing. So a little bit later, this is in chapter 17, he says, eternal rest belongs to death alone. If death does not affect God, it follows God is never at rest. But in what can the action of God consist? What does God actually do? The administration, as we saw again, of the world. If God carries on the care of the world, it follows he cares for the life of human beings and he takes notice of the acts of individuals and he earnestly desires they should be wise and good. This is the will of God, the voluntas, right? The divine law. He who follows and observes this is beloved by God. God feels happiness, love towards those, right? He's also moved with anger against the person who's broken or despised this divine law, right? Because they are screwing things up. So again, a rejection of the Epicurean conception of God, not really much of a God, with the consequences that, again, God could feel anger. Finally, we get this very interesting consideration of the argument from evil. If you're used to the way in which it gets presented in textbooks, like an intro to philosophy or philosophy of religion, Epicurus's formulation is a little bit different. It's framed in terms of willing, volere, and being able to, which is 
posere, right? Potest here in this case. And so how does it run? He says, all right, you basically have four choices. Either, as he's going to say, God either wishes to take away evils, tolere malum, right? To take away them from us human beings so we don't suffer. He either wishes to take away evils and is not able to do so, right? So he desires, he chooses, but... He can't do what he chooses to do. If that's the case, he's not much of a god, now is he? He's, he's feeble, he's weak. Not somebody that we should actually consider worthy of worship. Or he's able and he's unwilling. Well, if that's the case, and Lactantius says that Epicurus is saying, then God is envious of us. But we could just say, if God is capable of taking away evil and doesn't want to do it, God's kind of a prick, right? Why impose that? He's not a good God then, in which case we shouldn't worship him, right? Or he's unable and unwilling at the same time, in which case he's both of these things. Or the fourth option is he is able to take away evils, and he also wishes to take away evils. And then you can say, well, why are there so many bad things? Why are there bad people doing bad things? Why are there natural disasters? Why do we suffer disease and famine and all these other awful possibilities? If God really cares about us, why doesn't he fix things? And there's a lot of different answers to this in the history of theology. Lactantius has a very interesting one here where he says that God is able to do what he wants. So there's no weakness or envy in God. He is there able, therefore, to take away evils, but he doesn't wish to do so. But he's not on that account envious. Why? He, why doesn't he take them away? Because he gives us wisdom and there is more of goodness and pleasure and wisdom than of annoyance and evils. This allows us to know God. How does God give us wisdom? Well, wisdom, God puts evil and good things in front of us, and then we have to choose and think our way between them. That's what wisdom consists in. And wisdom can lead us to connecting with God. So it's a greater good than the evils we encounter. So he says, unless we first know evil, we shall be unable to know good. Epicurus didn't see this. Nor did any other that if evils are taken away, wisdom is in like manner taken away. No traces of virtue remain in man, the nature of which consists in enduring and overcoming the bitterness of evils. So again, he's saying something kind of similar. Epicurus went wrong in his reasoning, not because he was a bad guy or anything, but he made some mistaken assumptions, didn't see the connection of things and how things are really set up within the universe in relation to God and thereby wound up making some significant mistakes. So these are the main criticisms of Epicurus and the Epicurean school that we're going to see coming up in Lactantius's treatise on the anger of God, where he's rejecting and criticizing this Epicurean position. Special thanks to all of my Patreon supporters for making this podcast possible. You can find me on Twitter at Philosopher70, on YouTube at the Gregory B. Sadler channel, and on Facebook on the Gregory B. Sadler page. Once again, to support my work, go to patreon.com Sadler. Above all, keep studying these great philosophical works.